Hello everyone, Jose Asias here again. We're in this long series called The Way of Jesus. And this is part two on a conversation we started last week about uh, divorce and remarriage. And so I'm gonna pick up where we left off. Please though, if you missed last week's conversation, it is the foundation. So once this is done, go back. Or if you're watching both of these after the fact, then definitely go back, listen to or watch part one. And then this is uh, again, a continuation. Remember last week, oh, let's just read the text and we'll, we'll kind of recap last week. Matthew 5, verse uh, 31. Remember, this is a string, a series of six statements where Jesus is saying, the Bible has said, and now I tell you, okay? This is just number two. We looked at adultery and now let's look at, I'm sorry, number three. We looked at murder, adultery, and now divorce. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must go give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, last week, we hit a foundation for marriage. Jesus is bringing people based on Matthew 5 and then Matthew 19, giving them a vision, telling them, go back to the beginning. What is God's heart for marriage? And we saw it. It's one man, one woman in a covenant relationship, not lighthearted. Sex and family and joy and all that is a result of their commitment to God and to one another. And this is not to be lighthearted for this reason. A man leaves his family and joins himself with, with a woman, and the two become one flesh. When we forget that, when we have a low view of what marriage is, it's gonna definitely taint what we see as reasons and uh, situations where we ought to get a divorce. And so we saw last week as well that Jesus was giving a corrective. Remember that all throughout time, people have not exactly agreed on the details of how to live out the Bible. In Jesus's day, there were two major groups. One, uh, the group from Shammai, Rabbi Shammai, who said, no, only for sexual immorality, adultery, otherwise you should stay in that covenant relationship. Halal said any and every reason. If, if a woman does something that is indecent, and that's where they use that word, indecent, to mean lots of things, uh, just give her a certificate and then you're, you're free to remarry and she's free to remarry. And, and Jesus brings people back to God's heart. And if you think of both different views, where does Jesus land? Well, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So Rabbi Shammai was just basically closer to the heart of God. And it's, it's not any and every reason. And Jesus is very like emphatic. If we don't handle this right, you're gonna commit adultery and you're gonna put your former spouse in a spot where she's gonna commit adultery. And so this is, this is not a joke. Now, based on all of that, it leads to all sorts of questions. And we wanna just kind of tease those out. And I did the ones that I've been asked before. This is not exhaustive, but maybe this is at least a good place to start. To start. Question number one, you know, what are the biblical grounds for divorce? And if you've never gone to church, that's a new phrase, but if you've been in church, you've probably heard, well, this, oh, she had, or he had biblical grounds for divorce. What do we do with a statement like that? Well, let's peel back. It really depends on what you mean by that statement. Uh, what do we know from Jesus? 
unless uh, he must give her a certificate of divorce. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. So that's where people get the concept of, well, Jesus gave a clause. Here's the challenge with the phrase, okay? This is where different churches have, have different understandings. Some, uh, you can't get divorced for any reason. That is some Christian understanding based on the Bible and based on how they read it. Others, there are a few uh, specific cases where it, it is allowed. The third, it's more like halal. There are some churches, some people who love Jesus, who go more of the broad, progressive view and say, well, there are tons of reasons and Jesus isn't covering all the reasons and therefore you can kind of expand on it. And I'll kind of lay out where we are as a church, but just know this, even in our disagreements, we ought to be agreeable, right? And so I'll tell you where I lean, where our church leans, and we want to offer good dialogue and discussion, but you got to land somewhere practically. All right, um, biblical grounds for divorce. I just don't like the phrase, and here's why. That kind of legal ease, that forensic, really specific, give me the case study where, oh, if, if someone hits A, B, or C, I'm allowed to. You just don't find that in the Bible. You, you don't, and I'll explain why. You don't find that contractual kind of language in the Bible. What you find is covenant relationship in the Bible. And a covenant is an agreement before God for, in marriage, in the case of marriage, for a lifelong commitment to this person because the two become one flesh. When marriage is seen more as a contract, well, here are the terms, and if you break the terms, and, uh, then I am free to follow up with these new terms. That kind of language is very modern day because a marriage in America, if you, know, you live here, is, is a binding contract. You, you don't even need a church. You could do it in a civil ceremony, and you can easily break that contract or amend that contract or adjust that contract. The challenge is that's a worldview that's out of sync with the Bible. So the Bible is about covenant relationships. So the very phrase, biblical grounds, is, is, is speaking contract language. But notice, notice what Jesus says back in, in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verses 7 and 8. Because if you say, well, there's no such thing, that's not a good phrase, biblical grounds for divorce, then the Pharisees asked Jesus this question. Quote, why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and then send her away. It's Matthew 19, 7, 7 and 8. Meaning, you know, like, okay, if God's heart is reconciliation, God's heart is forgiveness, God's heart is we work, we plead, we pray, we, we do whatever it takes we bring in our community because we want to restore, then, then why does Moses, like in Deuteronomy 24, why does Moses talk about a certificate of divorce? Notice Jesus' response and underline this. This sets the tone for everything. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Now, here's the funny thing. You don't see hardness of heart in Deuteronomy 24. It just lays out, here's what you do. But Jesus fulfills, completes, gives the right interpretation of God's teaching. And so Jesus gives us this insight the reason that there's even Deuteronomy 24, which talks about the proper way to end a marriage within God's family, is not because that's God's heart, because of the hardness of their heart. And so that is huge. Whenever you think about 
what it means to end this covenant relationship. Even the inclusion of Deuteronomy 24 to Jesus, who is the right interpreter, because he's the giver of the law, right? It was the hardness of their heart. So even in that, God is providing a way in their culture and in their day, everything was passed through the man. Everything. Money and land and any and influence and business. And so if they just threw away this woman and didn't properly write a certificate releasing her to get remarried, you would have dramatic injustice. So for ancient Israel, Deuteronomy 24 was about providing a way of hope for if there was a dissolving of this marriage, that she would be in a position to get properly remarried and not be considered an adulterer because no resources pass through the woman, it all passed through the man. But that was never God's heart. This was the hardness of their hearts. So in a strange way, God is even providing in the law a way of hope that this lady and her children's lives would not be destroyed and her reputation destroyed because this man sent her away. And again, back in their day, it was one way. It was guys divorcing their wives. It wasn't the wives leaving the husbands. So Deuteronomy 24 is not the greatest place to say these are the biblical grounds. Jesus says clearly it's actually the hardness of the heart. And then what does Jesus say following that? He starts running around and says, it was not that way from the beginning. Meaning that's not what, that's not what God wants. Jesus goes on, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The word sexual immorality here is this broad term, porneia. Now don't immediately think, oh, so if someone is watching porn, that's a reason biblical grounds for divorce. Porneia, yes, the English word is the root from there, but it doesn't mean the same thing. It is a broader term, and it mostly means someone having sex with someone who is not your spouse. It's not mostly about fantasy. Porn, in our English understanding, is about fantasy. But the broadest interpretation of this word, it was about uh, having sex with someone else who, whether that's a temple prostitute, you know, who, whatever the case, one man, one woman, sexual intimacy, joy, blessing, anything outside of that is seen as porneia. Now, when that happens, that is a tragedy in any relationship. And this is why this just becomes so hard. Because the breaking of the covenant, which the covenant is sealed in sex, in the Christian marriage, that this bonding of bodies is showing the bonding of soul, the bonding of life, the bonding of commitment. And when that's broken, I'm not saying that there's uh, never hope, but I am saying that it is really hard to walk through to the other side when one party, the man or the woman, has broken that covenant with uh, sexual immorality. But even that, the reason why I don't like the phrase is Jesus isn't saying that's the biblical grounds and now you can get rid of them. It was the hardness of their heart that led to any dissolving of a marriage. So in this, in this case, Jesus is saying divorce is always the last result. When I use the phrase, and maybe I'm just you know, parsing words too, too finely, but just hear the, hear the heart of it. When we use biblical grounds of divorce, people in mindset often mean they broke the contract, now I should go. 
and I can go. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm free to go. And I think it's missing the essence of what Jesus is saying. The heart of God is to reconcile. The heart of God is repentance. Yet at the same time, as a last, 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 last resort, uh, divorce sometimes happens when, when someone has broken the covenant through sexual immorality. But nowhere is Jesus commanding his disciple to divorce their spouse. And that's why the biblical grounds gets muddy. Rather, I think a, a, a clear, at least in the view of our church, that there's no such thing as biblical grounds for divorce. But in the Bible, you see because of the hardness of heart, sometimes from both spouses, oftentimes from one spouse, it is often one refuses to reconcile, uh, that divorce does happen. And often in the cases where someone has, has gone outside the bounds and had sex with somebody else, and now just wants to go back to their relationship as if nothing happened. And often it becomes too painful of, of a hill to climb. But remember, Jesus is not commanding. Jesus is not teaching. Jesus is not saying you should get a divorce. He is saying, well, in the case of sexual immorality, if that happens, you're not committing adultery afterwards. That's what Jesus is saying. Where divorce does happen, then the person who has been violated against, if they go into another relationship, isn't committing adultery. That sexual act has broken covenant. And if they don't reconcile, if they don't bring healing, if they don't... But I, I think a healthy interpretation in our day is that we look at that as an example of brokenness and we grieve and we mourn. And there ought to be heartfelt, sincere repentance and yet we do recognize that sometimes a couple does everything, 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 and it still doesn't reconcile, and, and then divorce happens. In that case, uh, the person is not committing adultery. Remember, Jesus, when he's talking about it, is, is this two views. The view of Shammai, which said, only when there's sexual immorality, only when there's adultery. Hillel said, any reason. And notice the trajectory. Jesus says, those who have a heart of God are those who understand it according to Rabbi Shammai. That it's not for any reason. In other words, Jesus is, is highlighting the importance and the beauty of marriage and the sanctity of marriage and the goal that it should be something we fight for. And yes, sometimes divorce isn't, is, is the result. Now, is this a popular... Um, way of seeing it? Well, absolutely not. If I wanted to be popular, I'd say do whatever you want. Yet when I, when I look at the teaching of Jesus who fulfills the law, he seems to say that divorce should never be the goal. And we grieve when divorce happens. But sexual immorality, yes, is an instance. And it's the only one that Jesus lists as, as a reason why a couple in the end can't come to a reconciliation. And yet we grieve. But the goal, hear me, the goal for all of these, whether it's uh, anger and murder, whether it's adultery, the, the goal is reconciliation. God's heart is that we restore. Yet at the same time, we have to offer and extend grace. Sometimes the hurt is so big, a couple doesn't choose to reconcile. All right, that's, that's, the, that's the longest answer to a question, but that's the one that usually comes up first. So I took my time on it. All right. 
Second question, uh, are there other examples in the New Testament where we see biblical authors dealing with divorce? There actually is, not a lot, but in 1 Corinthians 7, and this is where it's going to get very interesting. 1 Corinthians 7, let's just turn there and we're going to read starting in verse uh, 10. Now, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And husband must not divorce his wife. Let me just pause there for a second. Who does that sound like? That, that sounds like the interpretation of Jesus. Remember, in the time of Paul, a few decades you know, after the resurrection, as he's writing to this church, who's trying to, trying to figure out how do we live in light of God's way, in light of Jesus, uh, how do we do this in relationships? And so Jesus says, man, like divorce should not be the first or second or third option. That's a last resort because of the result of the hardness of heart. And when people choose not to reconcile, let's just say one party wants to and the spouse doesn't where they're not left with endless suffering, if it ends in divorce, um, that does happen and we grieve. So he's saying like, look, you just don't flippantly separate. And, and even if you do, you just don't go and marry somebody else. We take the marriage covenant seriously. But notice how he continues. Um, to the rest I say this and not I the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer, and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Verse 13, and if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Other eyes, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Notice the next verse. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. All right, now this is where it gets a little confusing on the surface, but it's actually not confusing at all. Jesus says, we're not to, we're not to divorce our spouse, covenant relationship, except for there are cases where there's sexual immorality. It's not like, aha, great, they checked that box, therefore I can check out. No, we hope, we pray, we work, we strive to reconcile. But in the case where someone has been unfaithful, the person who has been faithful is freed. The divorce happens and they're freed and they're not committing adultery when they get a new relationship and get married again. But Paul uh, seems to uphold that Man, don't get divorced, don't separate. But then he gives this interesting situation that Jesus doesn't even give. So you have to reconcile with two conclusions. One, they disagree with each other. When you look at the whole of the Bible, all scriptures God breathed and profitable for teaching, correction, training, and righteousness. So uh, it can't be that, that Paul's contradicting Jesus and this is God breathed, that would make no, no sense. Rather, though, I think Paul is addressing a particular issue that Jesus wasn't asked about. And in their particular case, what happens if you have an unbelieving spouse and they abandon you? 
they're not living for the gospel. Uh, you're trying to reconcile. They're not reconciling with you. They're not in the faith. What do you do? Well, at that point, he says, well, you're not bound. They divorced you. They left you. They abandoned you. That person is now free to, to be remarried. What's happening here? I don't think that they're in disagreement. I think that the same heart remains. If you marry, you're a believer and your spouse is not a believer, right? Work to reconcile. Fight for your marriage. Stay in there. Share the gospel. Live out your faith. Just because your spouse is not a believer doesn't give you the right to get rid of them. So in one sense, the heart of lifting high the marriage covenant is in there with Paul, just as it is with Jesus. Except Paul's dealing with a real case scenario. Couple's married, one becomes a believer, and the unbelieving spouse, even though this believer says, I want to live in relationship with you, they abandon you and cut it off and leave you. In this case, Paul says, well, the heart of God, you upheld your part of the covenant. You are working towards reconciliation, working towards forgiveness, and you've been, you've been divorced. In that case, you are free. They're both dealing with divorce, and hear me, as a last resort. And as a last resort, it sometimes happens within the church. And it's something that we grieve over. Here, Paul, like Jesus, says there's a word of hope for the spouse that has been left. There's a word of hope for the spouse that has been abandoned. There's hope towards future relationship. The trajectory, though, is countercultural to their situation. See, like, I think we could apply this in one sense easily. In our American or Western culture, the sway has said, look, when you're no longer happy, when you're no longer satisfied, it's okay to leave and start over. I think the way of Jesus is saying, okay, divorce does sometimes happen, but that's not our first resort. That's not our second resort. Uh, our heart is to let the Spirit of God bring wholeness and reconciliation. We fight for our marriage. We bring in, you know, if there's a disagreement, we bring in a, a neutral party. We, 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 we grieve when things are going in the wrong direction. We try, we try, we try. And yet we recognize that um, divorce sometimes does happen. So are there instances that are other examples? Yeah, we see 1 Corinthians 7. Now, then this leads to another question. If Jesus said sexual immorality, that was the only thing he mentions, but yet Paul um, does give a different instance. Remember, same heart. It's not the first line. It's not the second line. It's the last resort. Could there be other uh, reasons why a couple gets divorced? And in this particular case, I think there would be some. Now, this is definitely where churches and individuals are going to sometimes disagree. I'll give one very specific example that I think as we apply out the kind of gospel heart in this, marriage is a sacred covenant, one man, one woman for life. We fight for it. But there are circumstances where a divorce is probably inevitable. I would think the example of abuse. Again, it, Paul's dealing with a very specific question in the church in Corinth. So Jesus isn't asked that question, so he doesn't address it. Paul isn't asked the question about abuse, so he doesn't answer it. But I think in line with that, uh, and then again, it's dangerous to bring up even the word abuse, because what does that mean? 
some people mean anything that's like I want and deserve is abuse. Like you didn't give me dessert, that's abuse. Uh, you didn't provide a great vacation, that's a you. That's abuse. Now, I'm, I'm being flippant for a second. That word is, I think, overused today. But, so I'll, I'll go on the very specific case. There's physical abuse. Now, I know there is such thing as emotional abuse, and I'm not going to debate that, but that is so widely interpreted. I'll go with physical just for this example. If uh, your spouse is physically abusing you, the whole idea of living and going in peace is not to stay in that particular situation. And if that is your story, what I would say is, hey, find that person that you can talk to and in, in God's love, let's get you out of that situation and under the covering of the church and under the blessing and care of other Christians, let's get you in a safe place. And going back into that relationship is probably not going to happen anytime soon, if ever. And if that led to a divorce, as a last resort because of the way they have physically treated you, uh, I think in the same heart uh, that's upholding God's vision for marriage and recognizing the hardness of your spouse's abusive heart. And so I don't think that Jesus is saying stay in a physical abusive relationship because it wasn't sexual immorality um, or it wasn't like they weren't a believer and left you. I think in that particular case, the gospel is, is maintained, the gospel of God's love and mercy and forgiveness, also recognizing evil is real. And I don't think God would want you to stay in a situation where someone is physically abusing you and you feel trapped. So I think that's one particular instance. Then the two schools of thought, you know, Rabbi Shammai, very limited cases, Rabbi Hillel, any old case, I think we just need to be really careful when we add more scenarios and, and make it wide because then you get like, Hillel, my wife keeps cook, burning the food, therefore I can divorce her. She no longer makes me happy. I'm not, I don't have any feelings for her. When you go down that road, I think it's a slippery slope. And this is where we're trying to thread the needle. How do we interpret the Bible in our day? Like Jesus, like Paul, we uphold marriage. And we recognize that divorce does happen in our broken world. I think the word, the pastoral word, would be that it is when you come, uh, let's just say you're a couple and you're struggling right now, when you come to someone and you ask for biblical counsel, you ask for words of wisdom, that you take divorce off the table. And here's why. Now, I'm not saying divorce uh, won't happen in your case because of the hardness of heart. But when we come with option one is, you know, they get it right and they stop doing what they're doing. Option two is divorce. When we, when we come into it with that mindset, then I think we may be missing the heart of God and the opportunity to reconcile. Because the moment I come in saying, I actually would be better off if I had a clean start then I think we, we don't leave room for the grace of God. We don't leave room for the work of the Holy Spirit. Some are going to disagree on that. Some are going to disagree with that in this church. Some are going to disagree in other churches. Hear me, in the spirit of love, that is okay to disagree with the particulars. 
uh, let's talk it through. But if this is your church home and, and, and you're dealing with a relationship scenario, like, Jose, man, you're talking to us, you're talking to me, just know that our elders here, our leaders here are going to plead that, that you will allow God's good news to you to work its way out in your relationship. I'm going to plead with you to fight for your marriage instead of absolving or throwing away your marriage. We're going to plead with you, knowing there really are cases where we need you to pull out of that scenario, especially in the case of physical harm. But most of the time, hear me, most of the time, even when someone has been unfaithful sexually, uh, God's restoration can happen in and through that relationship if both are willing to say under the leadership of Jesus, we want you, Holy Spirit, to bring healing and wholeness. And over time, couples have come out of uh, terrible sexual immorality and yet maintain their marriage and God's used their life and the redemption to be a story of hope of what Jesus can do. Yet at the same, at the same time, other marriages, because of one spouse or the other, not willing to work it out, have ended in divorce. All right, so what do I do? Because now we need to deal with the nitty gritty. What do we do if you say, Jose, we've exhausted everything. We've gone, we've brought this to our community. We've brought this to the church. We've been working, working, working. And, and towards repentance and reconciliation, for whatever reason, um, divorce has happened or we're about to divorce. How should we approach that? Three pastoral words based on scripture, but I think just full of wisdom, if I could even suggest that, wisdom on how to walk this out. First is this, if, if divorce is gonna happen, number one, uh, do it under the authority of God, the Bible, and the elders of the church. In other words, what the enemy's gonna want to do is if, if you're, it seems like there's no hope left in your marriage, is uh, gonna pull you away from scripture, away from God's people and away from God's leadership. And if the enemy can isolate you and out of shame, you feel so shameful or so hurt that you don't lean into the Bible, that you don't lean into the leaders that God's put into your, to, over you to care for you, What's going to happen is the enemy's going to want to start chopping away other dimensions of your life. I've seen it happen. People just don't bring it up to other people and they go and they end up in another relationship afterwards that is even worse. And that was never their intention. Or in a situation that is even doubling over, like you went from one challenge and you just coupled new challenges. And so, so, so that doesn't have to happen. But if you're in the middle of a relationship that it seems like is about to end, come, come to scripture, come to God's people and, and process that together. Second thing, do it in community, not alone. Um, Galatians 6, one through two says, brothers and sisters, if someone of you is caught in sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. All ending of relationships is the result of sin. And it's never, hear me, never one person's fault. There, when you peel the layers, there is usually sin on both sides. One, usually more obvious or more destructive. 
but we all need to check our heart all the time. That's why do this in community. Don't go into hiding, lean in on your family. And can I just say as a corrective, this is where I think in the church community, we haven't done as good of a job as we can. In coming in love and support, often what we end up doing is bringing judgment and guilt by what we say, by what we don't say, by, by our avoiding people like, oh, I'm gonna stay away from them, what's going on? We could pull away at the time of someone's greatest need. Doesn't have to be the case. And if that's been the case in your world, I am so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry that God's people didn't lean in and follow the way of Jesus. But now, uh, let's not make that mistake again. Or let's not be that person. Maybe you've never uh, been in the middle of a divorce, but you've, you've watched other Jesus-loving people, their relationship fall apart, and you realize, you know what? I really wasn't there. Okay, we repent. We turn. Jesus, now enable me in the future to be your loving representative. Divorce is not the end of life. It's not. It's not the end of your life relationship with Jesus. It's not. It, it grieves our heart and it does lead to outcomes that are painful over time. If there are kids involved, that means parenting with a, a, a broken structure, right? Uh, and it's just, it's not impossible. It's harder. Ask anyone who's walked through it. It's just harder, but God's grace is there and God's mercy is there and God's love is there and God's approval of you as a son or daughter is there. As we come and we repent and we come clean and say, God, this happened and I didn't want it to. I own up for what is mine. Grace, mercy, love, new start is yours. The gospel is still good news for you. And it's not the, uh, we've made it the stigma of the, oh no, that's happened and it's over for them. And frankly, that's just not in the Bible. His grace is sufficient. His blood covers all of our sin. Sins of the mind, sins that we've acted out, sins of things we haven't done, the good we haven't done. God's grace is there for all of those multitude of sins. And so let's be careful that we don't make this the sin and the stigma. I think we've done it in the past and I pray that doesn't happen here in the church. The third thing, we do this under the love and forgiveness of Jesus. I've kind of already said that. Uh, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And so there's hope for you, my friend. If you've walked through this painful experience, we want to be a people that extends love and mercy and grace and forgiveness so that we all will grow. Because remember, your primary identity is not single. Your primary identity is not married. Your primary identity is son or daughter of God. And when God sees you, yes, if you're married, he sees that the two become one, but he sees you as his child first. So when a relationship breaks down and divorce does happen or there's a remarriage, know that our primary identity is as children of God. We belong to the Father. And yeah, we have made mistakes. And yeah, we've walked through scenarios that we know God didn't want and we know we didn't want, but we're a child of God, loved, cared for, and forgiven. Now, I'll end with the big question, what do we do about remarriage? Like how, how does that work? And this is where the Bible doesn't have like tons and tons and tons of verses about remarry, a remarriage. But I do have a little bit of a, a, a Bible rubric, a, a Bible mindset. If you feel like that relationship has ended 
and you've repented of your part of it, whether you're the person that initiated the divorce or the divorce happened to you because they left you, right? When you've come clean before the Father, a couple of things to think about if you feel like remarriage is part of God's story for you. Now, by the way, you don't have to get remarried. You read 1 Corinthians 7, you read 1 Corinthians period, and you find that there's a blessing in singleness. So if, if the marriage has ended and you're like, you know what, I don't know, there's a beauty and a devotion that you can have to Jesus and his work in your life if you're single. In one sense, Paul says, he wishes everyone were single. And that's not everyone's story. But there's a devotion that we can have to the mission of Jesus. But if you, if you believe that God uh, is drawing you towards someone else, three simple steps that to think through. Number one, full repentance and forgiveness needs to happen from the prior marriage. The challenge is if you just go from one broken relationship and jump to another relationship, without going through steps of forgiveness and real repentance, you're probably gonna take whatever was going on right into this new relationship. Second, a significant amount of time and waiting that allows for healing in your own soul. It's just a word of wisdom. Where I've seen a few get in trouble is a relationship ended and it immediately, in, in modern terms, we call it a rebound effect but immediately jumping to another relationship without that time for the spirit to bring that healing to your soul and perspective. And I'm not saying that second marriage won't work. I am saying that if you jump in too quickly, you may have more challenges than you would imagine. The third is guidance from mature Jesus followers so that the same mistakes aren't repeated. There are reasons why the first marriage broke down, and I am in no way saying you are the fault, but there, when there's the wisdom of people around you that are godly, if there are blind spots in your own way of seeing things, then they can, by God's grace, be God's tool in your life to help you be aware of areas of whether it's ignorance or whether it's just areas where you're not even seeing straight. And, and by God's grace, they'll guide you towards that next relationship. Is, is divorce the unpardonable sin? No. The unpardonable sin in the Bible is grieving the Holy Spirit, which what is grieving the Holy Spirit? It is denying that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's the sin that God can't forgive. If you tell God, hey, like, I don't, I don't follow your son, Jesus, well, there's no forgiveness for that. Jesus is the way. But a marriage breakdown, a, a divorce, is not the end of your story. And so we need to be really careful as Jesus' people to not make that the unforgivable sin, and not treat people in an unhealthy way, in an uncaring way, just because that's part of their story. That could be part of your story. And everyone that I know that has been divorced or divorced and remarried knows they never wanted it. And yet those who follow Jesus have found real healing. What's troubling is when they found healing, but yet find the stigma from other Jesus people. That's super painful. When God forgives, friend, we ought to forgive, release, and pull into their life rather than shying away. All right, this has been a long one, but important because this is not something we often talk about as a church. So what's the word? The word to those who are married in our church is by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, with the people of God, fight for your marriage. Work on it. Get the help that you need until waiting till it's about to fall apart. If you need to bring others in, please do that. Please 
bring in other Jesus-loving people so that wholeness can happen while you're going off the path and not till you've, you've crashed and burned on the end of the road. We want healing to happen now. If you've, uh, if you've been divorced, you are welcome, you are loved. You are given the grace of the Lord Jesus. We pray that you, you know, you've fully repented and you've, you've reconciled as much as you can, but this is not the end of your story. And so those of you who are not yet married, um, I think this is just a word about the seriousness of the covenant relationship. And so as you're thinking about someone who you're gonna spend your future with, uh, don't buy into the cultural view, which is marriage is cheap and divorce is easy. But know that if you choose to follow Jesus, the two become one. And we pray that by God's grace, you'll find that person that you can live in that lifelong relationship. For all of us, let's fight for purity. It's sin that destroys, right? So whether married or single or divorced or remarried or all, a bit of all of those things, we, let's fight for purity. Let's ask the Spirit of God to enable us to live holy lives. And let's just end with that. Father, we recognize and we come to you with our sins and the way we think and the way we've lived. Lord, we have we've not gone your way fully and we own up to that. But Lord, will you bring healing? Will you bring forgiveness? God, for those of my friends here who want to be married someday, will you keep them holy and pure until the day that they are married? For those who are married right now, Lord, I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you will bring wisdom on how to live as husband and wife in a way that pleases you, in a way that builds up one another. Lord, we need you in our marriage. For those who have been divorced, I thank you that your grace is sufficient. And Lord, we pray that the enemy wouldn't get a foothold that says this is the end, but rather the enemy's mindset would be defeated because no, there is a fresh start in the good news of us following you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, those who are looking to, to start all over again, God, in your mercy, in your love, with your wisdom, will you provide? Will you provide that person? If that's what you want for, for your son or your daughter, will you, will you provide in a way that will give them a full life and a new start and an, an opportunity to experience your loving closeness with another person again? This is what we pray. But Lord, more than anything, we want to live holy as you are holy. Enable us, Lord Jesus, to do that. In your name we pray, amen.